Yo, here we are, episode one of the Bleed Green Podcast. Finally found the time, working every day, long-awaited, destined to happen. Sitting here, beautiful Saturday, August afternoon, the dog days, got the Yankees on. We're going to talk, we're going to keep it simple for episode one. We're going to talk about my Celtics, of course, how the past few years have been a movie, and the state where they are now. And we're going to talk about my other team that I now write for, the Miami Heat. How they look like a powerhouse, all the possibilities they can run out there on the floor, the way they're going to play. And of course, some other ball news, other ball talk. Let's get to it. All right. Now, a lot of tough decisions on where to start with this. Because anybody who knows me, I can go in for about an hour or two. But I decided to start with probably the craziest transaction I've witnessed in my lifetime as a fan. Realistically, obviously there's been tough ones. I thought Rondo hit really hard, but like this, is, this was crazy, especially I was out of the blue. I was getting a haircut when I had hair. Senior year just ended. Nice hair, too. Getting out of the barbershop. I see we're in talks with Cleveland. Advanced or serious, actually, conversations of the Kyrie Irving-Isaiah swap. And obviously your first thought, you know, is this real? Are they actually talking? If it does happen, this, is, this could take a week. This could take days. You never know. Obviously, like with how Isaiah was our franchise player, and the year he just came off of, he was looking like obviously this was our guy for the long run. Whether he was going to get other stars around him, whether not, we had actually just gotten Hayward with him. He recruited him, recruited Horford, of course. So he could have played a little bit of that number one role, sharing the ball a bit with IT. Take over, could have worked. But of course, we know Ainge looking at the bigger picture, looking at the better fits, looking at the future. Trader Danny. So, the notifications get more serious on Bleach Report on Twitter. It says, you know, talks are starting to heat up. And out of nowhere, like that, blockbuster. Isaiah Crowder, Zizic. The first round pick, we get Kyrie Irving. Ha. Huh. You know, we look at this fit. You look at what we had on paper. It's funny because that whole July, this was what, the end of August when this deal happened? That whole July, we're looking at this even before Kyrie requested the trade. We didn't think this was a rumor that we didn't think this would ever happen. Again, like I said, especially with Isaiah, you look at this. We went through like a bit of like a whole roster turnaround, pretty much. It was because, you know, we got Crowder, Jarebko, Linick, all those guys. We bring in guys like Aaron Baines, like Marcus Morris, like rookies like Semi Ojale, Shane Larkin. 11 new players out of 15, I believe we have. So this trade happens. I'm going through a lot of emotion. I don't know what to think. I can't believe that he's gone. I uh, really was just bamboozled. I just, I was on board with it. It's funny because like everybody who knows me, that whole 
2017 season, I was just preaching how much I thought Isaiah was superior, not superior, but better than Kyrie Irving, especially with the year he had as a leader. But you look at the obviously one-on-one matchup, Kyrie Irving is one of the most skilled guards of all time, the best one-on-one player of all time, the best arguably finisher of all time. The handles, no question. I think he's better than Iverson. Um, the afternoon goes on, or the evening, I'm sorry. You look at the roster, obviously him with Hayward, with Horford. You start to think, like, this is actually, like, this could be an Eastern Conference winner. Cleveland was aggressive with moves. They get Derrick Rose. They get Crowder. They get Dwayne Wade. They're just deep everywhere. J.R. Smith. Kevin Love, of course. And the season comes. What will be five minutes in? And Kyrie, looking for a highlight right away, was looking for Hayward. I'll also never forget this. You hear the, the sound of his leg. He comes down. And just like that, it's basically like everything changed. This was the changing outlook on the entire Celtics. What could have been, and what a lot of people thought, a dynasty with the talent they had, 1 through 10. Uh, so much emotion. semi July leading the prayer. Has everyone huddled? Kyrie with the face of determination could not believe it. Same with Al. And believe we were 0-2. I went to that third game in Philly that season on the road when Kyrie said that inappropriate stuff to the fan. It was funny. We were down 10 at half, and then just like that, we stole it. I was nervous. I didn't know how we'd be that season, obviously, especially going 0-2. And, and after that, whole catastrophe happens. Um, there, And then we never looked back. 14, I believe 7 No, 16-game winning streak we went on. Uh, We're easily the best team in the East. Cleveland looked like they had to gel a bit. You had teams like the Sixers that looked good, the Bucks, of course. You had the Heat creeping around. Um, And Kyrie, like you, the more the season went on, I started to look at the bigger picture with him again. And Young, he's got guys like... The biggest surprise after the Hayward injury was Jalen Brown's evolution that he showed he improved a lot because we look at his evolution and how beautiful it is. But that was the real point, I think. Hayward goes down. He drops 25 opening night. He hits a couple threes. Shows he can shoot now. You look at Tatum. He looks like a human highlight reel. He's not putting up that crazy stats at first. But like he looks like he is going to have a promising future in the league. You got Horford. You got Rozier stepping up, of course. So you look at this, and Kyrie was embracing it. And, you know, looking back at this and speaking of bamboozled, how bad he did us that it wasn't just a year later. It wasn't just the season ticket night. It was more, I continuously continuously say it was more than that with everything he was saying, not just the commercial with his dad. His number in the rafters, how he wanted that so badly. He wanted to create chemistry with Hayward, with JB, JT, Al, chemistry moving forward. Obviously, it looked like the chemistry in the locker room was beautiful. 
guys like Aaron Baines. They're one they're twelve guys deep, basically. They could compete with anyone with how long they were, their three point shooting, their defense. Obviously that whole season it kind of looked like they settled a lot. You know, the egos were there. And that's just what happened. So to close out that first year, uh, I had a dark thought knowing Kyrie's injury history. You know, is he going to hold up a whole season? Is he going to be able to take us to the promised land? So he goes down. He Throughout the whole season, he would miss back-to-backs a lot. He had a lingering knee issue. He, uh, It was kind of just looking like it was precautionary. We just wanted to save him for the future. Obviously, he's 25 at the time. Like I said, he's young. Uh, We wanted to be smart. And obviously, Ainge did too with Hayward and with the state we were in. So then a story comes out. Danny is vocal about it. He's like, he might get surgery in a summer or two to get rid of these screws in his knees. And obviously, we're all for it, but we're focused on the present. That doesn't go well with the fans. Um, so it's about March. Uh, I think we're playing Orlando or Indiana. It was a loss. I'm sitting in class the next day, freshman year of college. Report comes out that Kyrie's done for the season. He's going to get the surgery. And there goes the emotions again. Everyone, All the memes everywhere. The clickbait online. Celtics are done, their title chances, their run chances. And I think Marcus Smart also had a lot of lingering injuries himself. I believe that could have been the year of the thumb. Maybe it was another injury that he had. I could be wrong. We know he's been in and out year after year. Um, so my mindset is like, all right, I'm down to sail the ship and just get ready with the whole healthy squad next year. But no, no. We never looked back. We saw the youth and growth of Terry Rozier, Jason Tatum, of course. It's like the first series against the Bucks. We were what? The two seeds. They were the seven seed. And yeah, it was it was a great series. It showed that Jalen Brown showed his growth. I believe he was the first player since Derrick Rose to have multiple 30-point games in a playoff series that young. I think he was 21. Um, The next series, it was really Tatum who beat the Sixers. He was the leader. Obviously, you got playoff foul. Again, Terry, Marcus Morris, Baines was a body. Uh, Brown. So Tatum does it to Philly. We take care of the Bucs in seven. How great of a series that was. Uh, The away team never won, I'm pretty sure. Um, and the, the Philly series was just thrilling because that was really their come out party. It felt like Philadelphia. They just, they were obviously in the lottery all those years. They played us well and they're finally a playoff team. And obviously with the rivalry we've had with them before with the Pierce and Garnett days, it was fun to watch and they were expected to beat us with how they were playing. And it was the other way around. We wanted five. So then then comes Cleveland and LeBron games and the conference finals. Also a seven-game series. The whole world knows we're not going to beat LeBron. We go up 2-0. 
they win the next two in Cleveland. We go up 3-2, and then I'm all excited. Tatum and LeBron just doing it. We go to Cleveland in game six. LeBron hits those two step-back threes. My favorite highlight of that game, of course, is when Smart blocked James at the rim. No one really talks about it enough. Uh, But, you know, there was a dark thought going back to Game 7 at TD. We knew how LeBron is in that game, even though we were the better team. And LeBron controlled, basically controlled the series. They had George Hill. They made deadline moves. They had George Hill, Jordan Clarkson, Jeff Green was an X-factor against us. Uh, Who else? Corver. They still had a decent bench. Ty Lue was their coach. LeBron controlled everything for them and could have won a championship for them if hadn't he run into the best team ever assembled, arguably. Um, we get to Game 7. It's a good lead for us in the beginning. It looked like we were all playing well. Uh, not just Tatum, but Horford. Horford really controlled the game. Marcus hit big shots, Morris, that is. Marcus Smart made plays, of course, like he always does in the clutch. Um, And it was kind of scary because as halftime came, you know, we noticed that Jalen Brown wasn't really hitting from the outside. Terry Rozier was one for 11 from three. And it was really just up to Tatum to win him the game. And, you know, we have that iconic... Neck and neck in the final few minutes, Tatum hits the sidestep three. Crowd goes nuts. Come backs on the comes back on the other end, slams it on LeBron. Iconic moment. He shows, hey, I'm here. I'm great too. Chest bumps him. Looks all angry. It was really a thing of beauty. If you're a fan, it's unbelievable how fortunate and grateful we are to have this kid. And last night's gold medal game showed it. Anyways, we lose. Um, Heartbreaker, I put this at the top of the list with the 2010 loss. I put it with the 2012 loss against Miami. Up 3-2, to two, you got to close it out, man. That's the end of the story. You really do, especially at home. I know it's LeBron against a team of kids, but, like, seriously, you got to win that and finish it. Um. So then we go into the next season. We're like, okay, this is our year. We should really be number two in the power rankings behind Golden State. And we were. Uh, Like I said, 12 men deep. Irving back. Jalen Brown developed. Jason Tatum developed. Gordon Hayward. I'm not thinking in mind that he's going to be a step slow, but Gordon Hayward is Gordon Hayward. And Al Horford. And now... Rozier proved himself. Baines, Morris, who else? Tice played a lot of minutes. And we knew, I didn't, you wouldn't want to think about it, but we knew the egos were all there. Uh, They win opening night against Philadelphia. They start off the season a little shaky. They kept winning one, losing one. They're 10-10. Settling for threes, like I said, a lot. They didn't attack. Not a lot of ball movement. A lot of settling from Irving. A lot of ISO. A lot of forced threes, mainly, from Jalen Brown. Rozier, obviously, is expecting to make a step plus up. 
even though Kyrie Irving is on his team. Um, but they just really could never figure it out. And my thought during the whole season was, hey, this could be the worst season I remember since before the championship season, which was 07. And to make it even worse, I actually went to see them two games in Florida because my aunt there, lives there, has a house down there. So they played Orlando and Miami. I flew into Miami. We go to the game. It was a blowout. That was kind of it was kind of like the Rob Williams show for us. He was like a plus 11. He ignited the comeback. He kind of looked like a goalie at the rim, what he is, of course. And this was like his rookie year when he was really kind of making a name for himself, at least around the Celtic organization. Uh, this game was really a blowout. Uh, James Johnson dunked on Kyrie. Two days later, we go to Orlando. And that was a three-hour drive from where I was staying at. And this was the iconic game where Kyrie called out the team, gave the pointing motion to Hayward. Hayward gives the ball to Tatum at the end, which is a great play and great look, but Kyrie doesn't agree with it. And to make it even more sickening, we were up 12 at the half, man, 12. And we couldn't close this. We could not. And we were playing good basketball. But you know that, giving up open threes to Terrence Ross, Seven Fournier, DJ Augustine. And Horford's defense wasn't enough against Vucevic. So miserable time. Luckily, I ended the season pretty much well going to games. It was a bad record, but I saw a win at Philadelphia. Nothing's better than that. Um, especially in the midst of a sea of blue and red fans that were very hostile. Uh, the year continues. We're hoping that they can figure it out come playoffs. They play the Indiana Pacers without Victor Oladipo. You know, the beauty of this was to see the bench just arise in happiness. Kyrie getting loud. They looked like they were together, standing up, clapping for each other. Again, the chemistry looked there. And it looked like this is what we've been waiting for. They sweep Indiana. Kind of starless besides Sabonis. They get to the next round. They play the powerhouse Bucks, And, you know, everyone's got that thought. Is, is Giannis ready for this deep Celtics team? Can the Celtics win this with their experience, even though they are the road team, they don't have the home court advantage? We play them game one. It's a great game. We put on a show, the away black jerseys. Kyrie was phenomenal. Al Horford was phenomenal. And he looked like a Giannis stopper. Blocks at the rim, rebounding, uh, his passing. It looked like his length really – it looked like he became one of those guys that can really, like, not have a fear for Giannis and just with his length can battle him at the cup on both ends, really. Like, we know about Horford's age and how he may look unathletic, but really he's one of the most underrated athletic bigs in the league probably. The way he can stretch, the way he spaces the floor, he can put the ball on the floor and attack the rim. He gets blocks a lot, of course. And, yeah, I'm happy to have him back, of course. 
so they beat us. We never win after that first game. They beat us 4-1. We go into the next season, and, you know, it pretty much seems like a lot of question marks for our franchise because the whole, like I said, Kyrie makes that commitment to the fans, and everyone's like, he's got to be leaving, he's got to be leaving. Like, look at this season. He's from New York. The Knicks rumor with him and KD was lingering, and... He just wasn't looking happy a lot. Like Besides his leading of the bench, like I said, against Indiana, his body language wasn't in it. He kind of looked like he gave up on us. He said those things to, on the podium, like, who cares? And he didn't seem to be phased that he shot bad and kind of didn't use his teammates more. He was trying to be the hero too much, and it wasn't working out. But, hey, that's his game. Um, so he does leave in free agency, and... The first domino to fall to tell that was when he signed with Rock Nation, and we kind of knew it was the end there. And I was looking forward to Anthony Davis potentially playing with him. You know, Kevin Durant was out the window. That was probably that was another heartbreak, the Durant thing having to do with them falling short of winning the finals or making the finals those three seasons. Man, I'll never forget that as well. Um... Durant really, we know, would have just turned them into a, could have turned them into a dynasty himself. And if Kyrie Irving was on the team already, maybe he would have came. And it hurts the heart even more to remember his comments saying, hey, once I saw Brady, I was ready to put on that green jersey, man. It's just saddening. So Irving leaves. You know, we get that notification from Woj. Brooklyn is making a clean sweep of him, Kevin Durant, and DeAndre Jordan. So they go there. And there was a rumor that we were looking at Walker before it. We weren't sure if he was going to leave Charlotte. Dallas was also a rumor. He was very vocal about how he wanted to stay. He didn't care about the money. He didn't care about the situation going on there, if they're competitive or not. He was a loyal guy. But as we saw these past two seasons, clearly it was his knee that made Jordan want to look at Rozier or look at elsewhere and move off Kemba. So we get him. And you look at the possibility of this. Now, I'm not talking dynasty like I was with the other team, but look at this fit. A lot of people weren't thinking of Tatum and Brown and their development because going into the season you're thinking okay Kemba has the keys to the franchise now and obviously everyone's looking past Hayward with the mediocre season he had coming off the injury and season starts Horford also leaves for the Sixers I might as well mention that he was supposed to take a team friendly deal but he saw the best opportunity for him financially and for the end of his career. Didn't work. He couldn't play next to Embiid. Philly didn't pan. And so he's gone. Ennis Canner is his replacement. They don't have as deep of a bench. We're kind of looking at the bench, like who's going to be that scorer to step up for them. But obviously you're not thinking about it too much because the way they were 12 deep the year before, a lot of egos now they got a young group of guys that looks like they're having fun, especially in media day. You know, Grant Williams being a goof. Langford, Carson Edwards, Tremont Waters, those guys. And 
Grant was the only surprise the first year, obviously, Langford never panned. But, hey, that's like Brad Wanamaker stepped up. He was probably the best bench player all season. And so the season starts. Kemba looked pretty elite his first, like, two months, over 20 points a game, especially his first few games. Pretty sure he had over 25 and 30 a few times. Um, we looked awesome. He, the best thing about it was obviously every fan would want to look back to the Kyrie Irving situation and compare him and Kemba. And, you know, everyone outside of the Celtics makes the joke, oh, he's better than, he's better than Kyrie, he's better than Kyrie, he's not. And I wasn't trying to say that. But a better fit for Boston, someone who plays off the ball, someone who's known as a great leader, which Irving didn't have here. Someone who is excited for his teammates, well-loved around the league. And you could see it from the jump. There was a voice bites of him talking to Tatum opening night in Philadelphia, and he's like, shoot as much as you want. It's your time. Like, take those shots, Jay. And he's just trying to get the best for the Celtics. Tatum and Brown, Gordon. And he's vocal about it, too. He's like... I'm not here to be better than Kyrie Irving. I'm here to get this team back on top. And so it looked like a thing, a bit of a Cinderella story that was very lovable. Fans are happy. We go on a 10, I think, yeah, 10 game winning streak. We're the first seed. Uh, then February comes, a little bit of January. We weren't rolling the way we were all season. We were still a top three seed, but like, Kemba cools off a bit. He starts to have like a lingering knee issue himself, kind of like the Kyrie Irving vibes where it was just a precautionary thing. Take a seat here and there. You know, we know you have a bit of an issue, but it's best you get your rest. And we are obviously looking at the big picture. He basically starts to miss back-to-backs and that's not a problem because what comes next? The rise of Jason Tatum goes through a month of February, putting up 30 points a game, shooting 50%, looking like a menace from outside, the side steps. Unbelievable. And this is pre-pandemic. Jalen Brown looks awesome. Gordon Hayward looks great. 17 and a half points, a beautiful complimentary guy to them can be a playmaker, can be a point guard, also a super efficient shooter, can rebound. That's the best thing about him is how he can run an offense. So everything is looking good. But now here comes the all-star game. Kemba's a, Tatum makes it. Kemba's a starter. Kemba exceeds his minutes restriction, is the second leading scorer on the East all-stars behind Joel Embiid. Hurts his knee a little bit. He's vocal about it with them being next, next to him at the podium. And he's like, oh, yeah, like I actually was on a minutes restriction and I exceeded it. And what did that do? It kind of screwed us the rest of the year. So the pandemic, and I'll say this before, Tatum has the performance that any Celtic fan, any second or third year player, this was this – was, Really gorgeous against the Lakers, your rival at Staples. The only thing the game was missing was Kobe, sadly, man. He would have been sitting courtside, loving every minute of it. 
seeing what his mentee is doing to his team. And Tatum, from the jump, was just aggressive. The threes get taken it to the hole. The Lakers were throwing triple teams at him, and he still had, what, 41 points, 39? It was one of his 40-point games. He really looked like he was getting at least 50 at some point. He was running the show. So then the pandemic comes, and obviously Tatum's fresh in our minds. Kemba Walker's knee issue is kind of lingering. Uh, but we were kind of fooled. He was telling the media that it was the best he's felt, that things were going to change. The bubble happens. It starts. We lose a heartbreaker the first game to the Bucks. The postseason comes. We have Philadelphia first round. And what happens? Hayward gets hurt again. I mean, again, come on. Game one, he twists his ankle. What was it? Some sort of sprain that kept him out four to six weeks. And Philadelphia got swept. They were without Simmons. Tatum, of course, and Brown did their thing. Kemba was good against them. So then, who was the next team? It was, of course, one of the most memorable series that we've had for the Celtics in years against Toronto. And I tweeted the other day how I think besides the Cleveland and Golden State, LeBron come back down 3-1. to one. This might have been my favorite series the past few years. The bubble was just awesome looking back. And to see the competitiveness amongst the silence of a dome between the Celtics and Raptors. I think, we, yeah, we were up 2-0. Hey, if Ananobi doesn't hit that buzzer beater, I say all the time, we get to the finals. That changes the momentum of everything. We're up, we would have been up 3-1 to one on a beautiful feed from Kemba to Tice on the defending champs. We blew it. OG hits the buzzer beater, 0.5 seconds on the clock. I don't know how we messed that up. They tie it 2-2. We take the lead 3-2 on a beautiful game on Sunday night. We got the job done. Uh, they take it to game seven, and one of the craziest games I could remember in a game six where the referees really just screwed us on Kemba, on Tice, of course. Game seven comes, nothing but anxiety, tons of coffees, so jittery, legs shaking all day. Neck and neck all game. Marcus, I tweeted it uh, last night or yesterday evening, how that block on normal pa- Norman Powell in that Game 7 doesn't get enough recognition and doesn't get talked about enough. Because he and Tatum controlled the game for them in that Game 7, and they were so clutch. Tatum really was having his way. It sh- he showed his greatness in closeout games. Um, Miami comes, and you look at us. The, the three out of four conference finals that we made – this was really uh, pretty much the one where we really should have just gotten over the hump and finished it. Because you could argue we couldn't have made it through all those years. That's my argument to everybody who has something to say about Brad Stevens. Because, you know, is he this much of a genius? Is it really just him that's holding them back? No, it's not. Because we weren't supposed to be that far in the first place. Last year was the one year we probably should have and should have won. But Miami was great. I think Spolstra is the best coach in the NBA. Jimmy really made a statement for himself, for his organization. 
showed, hey, stop doubting me and my team. We could be here for a while. I have Bam next to me. I have my shooters, obviously, part of why I wanted to write for them. Just a beautiful organization, championship-driven. A lot of people love to play there, as we just saw. Kyle Lowry was wanting to be a part of it, even though tampering's going on, rumors right now. But So the, the real X factor in that series for us was not only Spolstra out-executing Tatum, at the end, Tatum, I'm sorry, Stevens, but it was the fact of Daniel Tice getting bullied by Bam Adebayo, and there was really just no answer for him. That's what killed us, and yeah, that was really a frustrating one, especially because we were down, yeah, we were down 2-0, and then we tie the game, tie the series, I'm sorry. No, we don't. It's 2-1. Then we go down to 3-1. You kind of knew it was over. We won one more game. There's some hope, and then we lose in six. I think we probably could have put up. It's hard. It's tough to argue with how Jimmy was, but I think we arguably could have put up about the same series, if not better than the Heat, just knowing like how we are in the biggest of stages and against LeBron and the Lakers, and knowing how we are as an all-around team at our very best and our experience prior to it. I, that's, that's just my opinion. Call it biased, whatever. I think so. Um, so here we are this season. I said before about the last Kyrie year, it was probably the worst year I could remember until we met this season. Guys in and out of the lineup every day, the COVID hangover, the bubble hangover, the Tatum gets COVID, injuries, they weren't that deep. They didn't really have a true third option. Um, Tatum and Brown really had no help throughout the year. Kemba couldn't play back-to-backs, let alone not come back until January. He was never himself all year. When he started to heat up towards the spring, I'm pretty sure he ended the season averaging at least 27.5 his last five games. Has he ended the season red hot? I'm thinking to myself, like, hey, maybe we keep him. Maybe. And obviously the whole rumor all season is you look elsewhere for him. We knew changes were coming in the first place, but I was like, hey, maybe you keep him. And then once the Brooklyn series started, when we got stomped, he was nowhere to be found and he was off the floor with his knee still. And we just knew the time was here where he had to go. So the season was a rough one, 36 and 36, 16 and points per game, 11th in opponents, point, points per game. Uh, you know, we, like I said, clearly changes were needed. And we just couldn't, we would get a big win against a big team. We couldn't, especially, the main thing had to be the guys in and out and the guys off the floor because we really couldn't get anything going consistently. A lot of forced shots, a lot of, the defense did, was just totally not Celtics. It was the worst defense I may have ever seen them play in a season. And we know how we're a defensive-minded organization. So what happens, the rumors of Ainge, step, Ainge stepping down because of his heart attacks and how the past few years were for him. Listen, it's not his fault 
yeah, there was a lot of missed opportunities for him, but it's not his fault Kyrie had other plans. It's not his fault Gordon Hayward was getting $34 million. It's not his fault that Horford, out of nowhere, decided to go to the rival. But, listen, he got Tatum and Brown. He got Marcus Smart. He got some foundational pieces. He fleeced the Sixers for the Tatum deal. He got the Nets deal done. He brought in Isaiah, who if he ended up staying and never had that hip issue, which anybody who tells me he's a snake, uh, you know, he really screwed Isaiah. I usually say, dude, there was reports saying that, like, he said he probably wouldn't have done it if it wasn't for the hip injury. Obviously, you do it for Kyrie Irving. Like, who wouldn't do it? That's another thing. But the reports were out that Isaiah had the hip scare and that's why Cleveland wanted more compensation and we gave him that extra second round pick I didn't mention that before but we did now that I remember so um it's really just unreal how the past few years have gone like it's just an unfortunate tale of events starting off with the Hayward injury And ever since they got Kyrie Irving, how we thought it was just a thing of beauty. It's really just the karma from the Isaiah deal. So, um, Ainge steps down. Stevens becomes president. I really like it. It kind of reminded me of one of my favorite movies, Moneyball, where it's just the junkie, the kid, you know, like Jonah Hillis, Peter Brandt becoming a GM. And... Brad's just so vocal about how he loves the city. Like, when he rejected the Indiana offer, his quote, he's like, I'm a mass hole. I'm, uh, you know, I love Dunkin' Donuts. I love the Patriots. And he just was so vocal about how much he loves the Celtics. At his introductory press conference, they bring in Yudoka. He's a guy that Tatum and Brown love, and that's what matters most. He, Marcus Smart loves him. He was with them on the USA Select team. And... The first transaction we make with Stevens as president, it's bringing back an old friend who was rumored to come back for a while, whether it was a buyout, like through that year and a half that he wasn't on the team. Al Horford, June 18th, I'm on my way to work. I see they swap Kemba for him. They bring in Moses Brown. They give up their 16th overall pick. And you like the deal. I mean... I was coming into the summer, if they were going to move him, Kemba, it was going to be for bad value because his value was not that high. And they bring in a good fit for them in Horford. He's still making a lot, but he cuts a lot of salary. He changes them on defense. He has a lot of chemistry and a lot of, you know, plays that he had developed before with Tatum, Brown, and Smart. Especially, it could be very interesting with them more a lot more developed now. And, um, yeah, it was really just a surprise and a great morning for fans. So then you're more so thinking, like, they're trying to create cap space. Obviously, it could be a whole roster turnaround, maybe not 11 like the last time. But we were just trying to create something new, get a roster for the Jays and bring in more defense, which Stevens did. The next move, we knew that Tristan Thompson was the next domino to fall with his $9 million remaining on his last year. He was for Chris Dunn, a guy who they loved. 
back in the 16 draft, besides Jalen Brown. They get him. About two hours later, they get Josh Richardson with the remainder, remainder, I'm sorry, remaining salary with the 11 million of the Hayward TPE. And, you know, the next day, it's kind of like who you've given up for him. And I saw rumors that it could have been Parker to cut two and a half million. Could have been Moses Brown. I didn't think it was going to be Moses Brown because I thought he had a future with us. But it was him. We wanted to cut more salary. We wanted to scramble for Lonzo. Clearly, that was the plan. And we were the second team with the most interest besides Chicago. I didn't think we were going to be like, oh, hey, yeah, you could have our heart and soul and Marcus for Lonzo. Obviously, you do the trade, and it gets you a lot better. But like, I didn't think we were going to be so quick to give up our third foundational piece in the words of Danny Ainge. Yesterday, he, uh, it was on Twitter from Mark Murphy of the Herald that he received an extension, four years, 68 million, 17 a year. You do that if you're the Celtics, you do that if you're him. Guys like Doug McDermott are making $17 million. That's perfect for Marcus. He's a back-to-back first-team all-defender. When his offense is on, he looks like a premier point guard. He just has to stay on the floor, and he just has to make smarter decisions. And he should be the starting point guard of this team, even if they bring in another one. You saw his playmaking with the Jays besides his defense, his passing. When his three's on, we saw this year he could have a game where he could make five to seven threes. Like he is unreal with what he does on both ends. If he could just he is what he is, but like if he could just actually give you a solid fifteen a night, that's a great year for him. And if he could stay on the floor. So like I said, the focus was defense. Chris Dunn's a great defender, Josh Richardson. The other plan besides ball was to re-sign Evan Fournier and that didn't work because after we got acquired Richardson the reports were that Evan Fournier and the Celtics were far apart from a deal he wanted 20 million after it was expectedly unexpectedly reported that he was expecting 14 and that was his anticipated salary but it didn't work I kind of had a feeling it was going to happen after his Olympic play he wanted more the Bulls we're out there. The Hornets were out there. The Pelicans, the Knicks. You kind of had a feeling the Knicks would strike, knowing they had the most cap space with $58 million. They bring in a couple core guys. They bring in him. They bring in Kemba after he gets bought out by OKC. Signs back at home for $8 million. That's a deal for the Knicks if he can stay healthy. But, you know, we were hard-capped. And clearly... It just wasn't going to work for Fournier. I thought he had a bright future in Boston if he stayed, and he really looked like he was ready to embrace it, especially being how vocal he was that he couldn't contribute right away because of COVID. And because, obviously, it just he wasn't hot at first. He was 0 for 10. He couldn't get much to fall. He got sick. And then he had a killer month of May. I think he put up 17, shot over 40 from outside, 50 from the field. And, hey, it looked like a nice complimentary shooter for them, and it looked like it was going to work out. But I like the Josh Richardson fit. Hopefully he can be better on offense this year, get that three-point percentage back up. Last year he was only at 33. 
35 to 36 would be cool. He's very good with the basketball. He can run a point guard, bring it up in transition, very crafty with his passing. He's gets blocks at the rim. He's a very good defender. He's got length. He's a good fit for Tatum and Brown. So Fournier goes, Lonzo goes to the Bulls. There's rumors for us, like who else is on the chart. There's a rumor on night one that it is, uh, it could be the former guys, especially it all made sense after the reports that Stevens very well didn't agree with many of Ainge's moves. So it was Avery Bradley. They were rumored to bring him back. Kelly Olenek, Jeff Green, Isaiah Thomas. At least one of those guys would have been awesome. One to two. Kelly Olenek and Jeff Green really would have been sweet. Obviously, we know about Isaiah and how he could help with scoring off the bench, even though everyone just looks past him and he's overlooked by a lot of organizations because of his size and his injuries the past few years. But obviously, with how Boston really just embraced him, like it just would have made sense. And obviously, with the year they just had, it just would have been beautiful for the city. It would have gave him something to be happy about. And so besides Isaiah, there's the other former Celtics. There's Spencer Dinwiddie. There's Danny Green. There's Reggie Jackson. Just guys that they could be rumored in that could be vets to help. And here we are on day three. Believe No, it was day free agency was Monday night. So two days later, they sign, they bring back Ennis Canner. And if you really think about it, now he, here's my projected rotation. We got Smart, Brown. You can go two ways about this. It could be Smart, Richardson, uh, Brown, Tatum, Horf, I'd say Williams. Like, I think it's well known that they're very high on him and it could really be a game changer for them this season if he could just stay on the floor. He's a defensive changer to an organization, and he's shown he could be a promising big if he just improves his offense. Super efficient block machine. He is going to be a very promising player. It should be a great thing. So you could put Richardson at the two. You could put Tatum at the four, Brown at the three, Williams but mine, I'd go Smart, Brown, Tatum, Horford, Williams, Richardson, Pritchard, Canner. And if you, as I was getting at, Thompson's gone. They trade Moses Brown. They needed a backup center. So Ennis Canner on a vet minimum who have coming off a good year in Portland. That makes sense. That's a good deal. And it's added offensive depth. So Pritchard, Canner, Neesmith showed a lot of promise at the end of the year. Langford, finally no limitations. I've been tweeting about him up a storm. He's a lot of writers are looking at him. He's going to be looked at a lot this year. We're expecting him to show us a bit of something now that he's healthy. We're looking for some improved offense. We know about his defense. Bruno Fernando, where they also got in the Chris Dunn deal. Chris Dunn and Yamadar, the draft stash who they call the European Steph Curry, who hopefully is awesome. And I was also going to say this, as of last night, after those missed free agents, Dennis Schroeder's still on the board, and him and the Celtics have met at peace with Dennis. His ego hopefully died down. 
with him wanting and commanding all the money from the Lakers. The Lakers have moved on. Other teams look past them. The Knicks, the Bulls. A couple organizations that just realize he's not worth it. And here are the Celtics with the MLE still to spend and one last roster spot. I like it. If you're not going to overpay him, he's a scorer. I'd put him at the sixth man. He can, again, add some offensive depth. He was the best sixth man in the league two years ago. He's talented. There's better point guards, but he just adds help. And, like, if you can get him at the MLE and, like, a very reasonable deal that's not having him be overpaid, it's a good deal. So with him in the lineup, you can go smart. This is what I like. This is mine. My projected rotation. Smart, Brown, Tatum, Horford, Williams. Schroeder, Richardson, Pritchard, Tanner, Neesmith, Langford, Fernando. Done. So those two could be moved to clear out more space for Schroeder. But Madar. So, yeah. If they can get Schroeder, obviously we know the goal is Beal. We see if Beal was to request a trade, we saw two weeks ago, Boston would be at the top of his list because his best friend Tatum. And Tatum commented on Instagram a clover, like when someone uh, posted about the Beal rumors. So the hope is for Celtic fans is that they, Stevens and Tatum know that Beal wants to come if he really isn't disloyal to Washington. So if they can get the smart extension done, they don't have to worry about it next year. Don't have to worry about him ever being off our team. Uh, if they can sign Schroeder to a nice deal and then you add Beal next year, the goal this year is to get back to contention, to put yourselves back on the map. And we know Tatum and Brown will do their thing. We know Smart owes them. He definitely has it in mind, has how much he loves the city after last year. You got the kids who can definitely improve. Pritchard will be better. Neesmith and Langford and his canners definitely happy to be back. And like I said, hopefully Josh Richardson can surprise us. So, my other team, the Miami Heat. Been through a lot of dark days with them against the green teamers. From 2012 with LeBron. From 2011 with LeBron. A couple seasons where they just stomped on us in the playoffs. Last season included in the bubble, like I said. And nothing but just a fabulous organization. Like I said, championship-driven Stars embrace the culture, like I, we just saw it with Kyle Lowry, even though some investigations are going on. Woj was reporting that he had long been intrigued by joining the Miami organization with his good friend Jimmy Butler. They only missed the postseason four times in the last 13 years, and that is something really interesting. It's... They were kind of like, where are we going after LeBron went back to Cleveland? We, they were still a free agent destination. Pat Riley, Spolstra, Miami, of course. Hostile arena. Uh, Jimmy Butler was a rumor. They got him. Dwayne Wade did his recruiting. He was happy. Uh, they show last season how competitive they still are. They dealt with COVID issues a lot, too. Just like the Celtics, they were a low seed. I'm pretty sure they were six. Yeah, six. The three-six matchup against the Bucks, they get swept. Um, 
Jimmy doesn't perform the standard. Bam was okay. They really didn't show out. Uh, Robinson and Hero kind of looked like they regressed, at least Hero. So I have my expectations for them. I think they're at least a three seed. They could even be two. They have players on both ends with a deep bench. And P.J. Tucker is also a perfect signing that fits the organization. And I mean perfect. So my projected rotation for them, also the biggest Kyle Lowry fan. Had him on fantasy a few years. I think I might get his jersey. Just a person off the court, on the court, how funny he is, how he knows he just likes to have fun and goof around. Now he's a champion, arguably the best Raptor ever. He's just such a lovable guy. So starting five, Lowry Robinson, which I'm starting to believe I like the deal more. Of course he's overpaid, but this, what is the NBA about now? Three-point shooting, and he's just a kid. We haven't seen the best of him. He's a lovable guy off the court, just like Lowry. Got a great podcast. He can absolutely stroke it. He's probably a top four shooter in the league. Arguably three behind Steph and Clay. Um, but yeah, just wait till he could put on put the ball on the floor more and create more plays for others. He's gonna be special as he grows. So Lowry Robinson, Jimmy, PJ, Bam, and you have a bench of hero who could play some backup point as a ball handler. We saw he was very good at handling the ball in the bubble and creating his own shot. His passing is underrated. He kind of does remind me of Booker a little bit, but obviously after the year we just saw, he has to prove it to us that I could still have that thought in the back of my mind. So Tyler Hero, Marcus, Markeith Morris, who gets a deal from them, also a Miami Heat player, fits with his toughness, can create shots. Just like his brother, uh, just a guy you love to have on your team, good scorer, uh, hit shots in the clutch, can also create his own shot, can post up others, just good scorer, really. He can shoot 45-plus from the field, good signing. Oladipo, who we didn't know where he'd go, he's got himself an ego, like he thinks he's still a max player even with this injury. So that's why I've never been the greatest fan of him but even though i know he's a big talent i hope he proves it this year with miami he signed a one-year deal make or break year probably uh he's expected to be out till november i think so after that hopefully he could have a good season Dwayne deadmond comes back some young guys from the summer league max truce gave vincent and omer year seven putting on a show for miami right now and This is a promising team. You look at them, Kyle Lowry can run some point. Jimmy Butler can run some point. And Bam, as we saw in some exhibition play in the Olympics, is trying to become more of a ball handler. And something that stands out uh, to me about him is just how his defense improves more and more his first few years. Like I was watching him last night. He's just got the active hands everywhere. Obviously, rolling to the rim, alley-oop passes. He's just anything you want out of a young big. And, like, just wait as he grows. He's going to improve his mid-range more. He's going to improve his outside shot, probably. And he could post up with the best of them. He's just a special talent that really kind of developed through Popovich, it looked like. And obviously, he was a big promise coming from Calipari. 
and here he is. He's. I think he will have a season where he shows he's still one of the few best bigs in the NBA. He still was this year, especially on defense. But like, he looked like he wasn't good, taking the leap that we expected him to after the bubble. But hey, everyone's got rest now. Like I said, and PJ Tucker, stand-up corner shooter, defensive stopper. Could easily assist, could easily knock down clutch shots. We saw him pestering Durant when he was on the Bucks all series. Many could argue that could have been a reason why they pulled it out with everything he did in Milwaukee against them. And he was really bothering him. Like get get they were face to face, getting in each other's face, getting gritty. This is a fun team, the Heat. And I can't wait to watch them. So With that being said, that's it for episode one. Hope you guys liked it. I'll be here with plenty more. We're going to do some final comparisons next time after the performance Giannis just had. Hopefully some more news goes down. Maybe Schroeder and the Celtics come to a deal. I did see that they were, it looked like they were only apart because he wants a second year and that, you know, that we've been seeing players want the multi-year deal. That's kind of hurt us the past few days. Um, But yeah, we'll see what happens. Thank you guys. And I hope you definitely enjoyed the very first episode of Bleed Green. Plenty more. I'm excited. I finally did this. Thank you guys.